This is ASIN, the Association for the Study of Ethnicity and Nationalism. To find out more, visit asin.ac.uk. And next we have uh, Alain Dikoff, who is uh, head of the Center for International Studies and Research at Sciences Po in Paris, uh, author of, among others, uh, The Invention of a Nation, Zionism and the Making of Modern Israel, 2006, um, editor of The Politics of Belonging, 2005, and also, most recently, Revisiting Nationalism, uh, 2010. Uh, Alain? First of all, uh, I would like to thank the organizer of the conference for having me here um, today and for a very interesting conference as far as I, what I've noticed in different uh, sessions. So my, my topic uh, tonight is Jewish diaspora in Israel, a case of long distance nationalism. Um, to begin with, I, I, I will just um, in kind of introduction, um, put forward two things um, which has to do with uh, the link between diaspora and nationalism. Uh, in fact, uh, diasporas, or at least people living outside their homelands, uh, played a very important role in the advent of modern nationalism in the 19th century. Their reason uh, for their involvement was very well expressed by Alice Gamler uh, 20 years ago. I just want to summarize his argument. His argument is that when you have a society which is mainly agrarian and which uh, progressively becomes an industrial one, this kind of transition changes among others, the situation of diasporas. I mean by that, people who don't share the uh, culture, which is uh, the culture of the majority of the group. And this change had especially important consequences in empires, because in, in, in empires, precisely, I think about here, uh, mainly Europe, uh, uh, the, the, the Russian Empire, uh, Austrian, Empire and of course the Ottoman Empire. In those empires, with some differences, of course, um, the diasporas played uh, sometimes a very important role. And uh, this role was, they, they played precisely this important role uh, because they were a minority. I just uh, just come to my mind today, uh, just at the moment, that. Uh, Anna Arendt, by the way, stressed also, in fact, in, 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 his, in his work on imperialism, when she spoke about uh, Austria, uh, stressing the, the role that the Jews had uh, in, in, in building up the empire in the 19th century. So, uh, the idea here is that um, the minorities, uh, which were diasporas in those empires, had a specific economic niche as middlemen, but also sometimes in very crucial position. 
I'm thinking here about, for instance, what happened in the Ottoman Empire. In the Ottoman Empire, the role of translators uh, for official, uh, in official contacts between uh, the, uh, the, the Ottoman Empire, the, the Sultan and people from abroad, diplomats from abroad, was always taken by Greeks. Why Greeks? Because precisely they were a minority and the Sultan thought, and rightly so, that they were much more loyal at the end of the day than the majority which was Muslim. So this kind of role, sometimes very crucial as I just mentioned, uh, gave diasporas a very important role in, in empires. But it is precisely this position which is challenged with the advent of the nation-state. And precisely because the advent of the nation-state is, to go on with, with, with the reference to Gellner, trying to give to every culture a political roof, in that context the situation of diaspora uh, becomes uh, a very uh, difficult position. Because they, they lose progressively the, 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 the role they had as, 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 as uh, people between peoples, in fact. And uh, at the end of the day, they have no choice but to build a state for their own people. And just in the Ottoman Empire, this was, uh, of course, the case for the Greeks, the Armenians, and later on for uh, the, uh, the, the Jews. Uh, Lord Acton uh, was professor of history at Cambridge uh, and was also a liberal Catholic, uh, uh, wrote in the 19th century, exile is the nursery of national nationality. Meaning by that, that people become nationalist leaders when they live for long periods outside their homeland, outside their patria, if I may say, uh, like, for instance, Di Valera, uh, the, the, the leader of Sinn Féin, who was born in, in, in New York, or Mazzini and Garibaldi, uh, who had a very important role, of course, in the Risorgimento in Italy, uh, but were also uh, for a long time in France and, 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 and Switzerland. But it was precisely those people, because they were outsiders, that were more akin of what it was to belong and not to belong. And it is precisely because they were outside that they were able to really think about what it means to belong. And I think this is an important point, because people who are in the society in an everyday uh, manner, if I may say, they don't reflect about the fact that they belong. They just are there. In a way, you have to be outside to understand what it means to belong. So this is my first uh, introductory point. The second one, and I come here uh, slowly to long-distance nationalism, has to do with uh, what some people uh, call the digi digital revolution in the last 20 years. I mean by that, not only digital revolution, but I mean the global changes in uh, world society and the growing globalization in the 90s. In that context, some have argued that the relation between diasporas and the national project has qualitatively changed, leading to 
what Benedict Anderson called long-distance nationalism. So what is long-distance nationalism? For Anderson, and he, he spoke about that, he wrote about that 15 years ago, is the following. As the result, I quote, as, as the result of the ethnicization of political life in the way post-industrial states, appears what can uh, what one can call long-distance nationalism. Uh, this type of politics uh, prize open the classical nation-state project from a different directions. And then he goes on and gives some examples of what for him is long-distance nationalism. Among those examples is, for instance, the rule of Hindus uh, who are not living in, in, in India and who have sponsored uh, the BGP in, in, in uh, so the nationalist uh, Indian party in, in, uh, in India uh, and even some groups which are more um, extreme uh, example of, of uh, Sikh people also in Canada and uh, I mean Sikh not people who are not well but Sikh uh, the, the people with the turban um, uh, the, the Sikh people who uh, in Canada or in, in, in the UK are fighting uh, for Khalistan for an independent Sikh state in Punjab and so on so this is the idea I think you, you got already the idea uh, or, or you knew already about that in fact, I would like to stress what uh, Anderson uh, think are two main features of long-distance nationalism. One, thing, one uh, first feature is it's an accountability, meaning by that the fact that uh, many, and, and I quote what he wrote in, in, in this article, many of the most uncompromising, fanatically, adherence of independent Khalistan do not live in the Punjab but have prosperous businesses in Melbourne and Chicago, end of quote. So the idea here is that when you live in a free democratic country outside the motherland, uh, you can in a way take the luxury of extreme position because you know that you don't think you don't feel anything in your homeland when it's a democratic country. And uh, precisely because of this position, you are uh, in a way uh, pushed, or at least you, are, uh, you have more probability that you end up uh, taking intense political radical positions. So this is one feature. Uh, for uh, long-distance nationalists, according to, uh, to Anderson. The other one is uh, the instrumental function of uh, nationalism, long-distance nationalism, which strengthened ethnic identity in the diaspora. So, asserting nationalism from far away is a way to defend an embattled ethnic identity. So these are, in a, in, a, in, a, in a nutshell, the two main features of uh, long-distance nationalism for um, Anderson. At first sight, I would say that uh, there is, again, uh, a grain of truth 
in those statements. If I just mention one case here, uh, is the case of the Tamil diaspora. Uh, Tamil diaspora uh, is about half a million people in Canada, in the UK, USA, Germany, and Switzerland, and Australia. I'm not speaking about the diaspora or so-called diaspora, which is in, in the southern part of India. I'm just speaking about people who uh, are um, not in the subcontinent. So half a million pe people, and it's true that this, this diaspora has supported heavily the liberation targets of Tamil Elam, which was the, both politically and financially, till they were defeated in May 2009. Just to give you one figure, between 2002 and 2005, it is estimated that, that 8 million euros were sent every year from Canada alone to the LTTE. So it's not something which is marginal. One scholar of, of, uh, of a specialist, of an, an expert on, 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 on Tamil uh, in, in Sri Lanka, wrote, and I quote, the Sri Lankan Tamil diaspora has been a crucial component of the lethality and tenacity of the conflict. The huge expansion and increasing affordability of information technologies that began in the 90s really enhanced the ability of the insurgents to exploit the resource available in the diaspora. End of quote. So this seems to give credit to this argument. What I would like to do in the, in the, in the main um, time allowed to my, to my uh, speech is to test the, uh, the hypothesis of, of, of Anderson in the case of, contemporary Jew, the Jew, of the contemporary Jewish diaspora. Uh, to begin with, uh, modern Jewish nationalism, nationalism in the plural, were a product of the diaspora. And, in fact, it could not be otherwise, as a matter of fact, because Jews were, as a people, almost all in the diaspora at the end of the 19th century. Uh, why do I speak uh, about uh, nationalism in, in plural concerning the Jews? Because uh, this is, of course, very specific to the, to the situation. Uh, there were various uh, uh, kinds of, of nationalism in, 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 uh, among the Jews in the 19th century. One was what we could call diaspora nationalism. Jews who wanted to fight and, and, and fought, in, in fact, uh, where they stayed, for instance, in Russia, and wanted to fight for a democratic and socialist Russia, claiming just cultural autonomy for them, but on the spot, without migration. They were okay. I, I, I haven't time to dwell into, into the details of, of this of, of this development. Uh, the other kind of nationalism, Jewish nationalism, was of course the one who was successful, uh, uh, which is Zionism, and Zionism aspired to build a state in Palestine with my, with the migration of the Jews from the diaspora to uh, to Palestine. So Zionism was, in, in that way, a unique diaspora nationalism, different from other diaspora nationalism, because uh, uh, for the only reason that, uh, in comparison, for instance, with the Greeks, it's true that the Greek diaspora played an important role in, in modern uh, uh, Greek nationalism, but the core Greek people was in mainland Greece, and in the island, 
Of course, in the case of the Jews, it wasn't the case at all, because only 1% uh, of the Jewish, world Jewish population at the time uh, was settled in, 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 in Palestine. And the situation changed, the situation of the, of the Jews changed dramatically in the second half of the 20th century, and uh, uh, within the Jewish world, Zionism became able to garner more and more support after uh, the Holocaust and afterwards in the wake of the Six-Day War in 1967. And we can say, uh, I have to go a little fast through all, all, all those developments, but we can say that the symbolic centrality of the State of Israel for modern Jewry has clearly deepened over the last 65 uh, years. However, and this is precisely what I would like to, 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 to demonstrate, does this mean that uh, the Jewish diaspora is, is, is uh, mainly leaning towards intense political radicalism, to take up, uh, of course, uh, uh, Anderson's position? I will uh, show that it is, it, it is not the case. For, to begin with, uh, concerning diaspora and politics, uh, we should be clear about what we are speaking about. It is true that Jewish organizations abroad, uh, the American Jewish Congress or American Jewish Committee in, 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 in the US or uh, umbrella organization like here in the UK, the, the, the Board of, of Deputies of British Jews, are in a way legitimist. I mean by that that they support the State of Israel and their government uh, and the government uh, of Israel, which is in charge of the country. So they, they defend, by principle, I would say, Israeli policy, and are reluctant to publicly, uh, publicly criticize uh, Israel. But does this uh, LDN, long-distance nationalism, translate into a uniform, radical political uh, uh, stand? The answer is no. And I will precisely show that, in fact, the reverse is the fact. Of course, uh, it is well known that in the U.S. especially, uh, the, 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 uh, there, there is the, the, a very powerful uh, Jewish uh, lobby, the APAC, the American-Israel Public Affairs Committee, which is, uh, I would say, clearly leaning towards the, the, the right in, in, in Israel and supporting Netanyahu and this kind of policy. But I would rather try to emphasize the reverse, I mean, which is, I think, uh, uh, less known uh, uh, in the general public, uh, what is less known is in fact that when you look closely at what is going on within the Jewish diaspora, and I will mainly speak about the US here because it is also here that I found much more data than in other places, we see that in fact the American Jews built a lot of, of very uh, different organizations which supported, I would say, a soft nationalism in Israel, and not at all a hardline nationalism. To give you just some examples here, uh, uh, liberal Jewish Americans supported the Israeli peace movement, uh, Peace Now. They were involved in back-channel negotiations with the PLO, and they were even among the first to meet with, with uh, the former chairman of the PLO, Yasser Arafat, in 1988 in, in, in Stockholm. Uh, they created also uh, uh, the New Israel Fund in 1980, 
which is a fund which uh, channels money uh, for various organizations in Israel. And uh, when you look at what kind of organizations are supported by this fund, you see that they support mainly uh, organizations, and, and I would say only organizations, who defend in many ways pluralism within Israel. Religious pluralism, women's rights, equality between Jews and Arab, Arabs, and so on. So not at all right-wing, uh, uh, of course, uh, agendas at all. Uh, they, they finally uh, even set up, as uh, some of you may know, uh, a, a lobby in, in Washington, in, in, the, in the strict sense of, 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 the, of the world, the Political Action Committee, which is, which is active uh, uh, with, with Congress, uh, whose name is J Street, which was created in 2008. And it's interesting to see what is on the agenda of, those, of this lobby, which is uh, working in Israel, and, uh, in, in, in Washington, sorry, and in a way is, 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 is trying to, to act uh, um, and to, to, to diminish uh, the, the, the role of APAC on the other side, which is the other uh, Jewish lobby, as I said. Um, the, the, the main ideas defended by, uh, by J Street are the following. Commitment to support for the people and the state of Israel, so this seems quite natural. And uh, they state here that the Jewish people has a right to a national home, and also the, the a national home which is based on, on, on democratic principles. Second, is very important uh, here is that the future of Israel depends on achieving a two-state solution. So this means clearly that they think that the Palestinians must have a national home of their own, living side by side with, with Israel, which is not uh, clearly uh, a, a radical nationalist stand or the reverse. And they, they stress also, and I think this is very important uh, uh, when you look at how it works, they stress also the fact that Israel supporters in the diaspora have not only the right but the obligation to speak out when uh, they uh, think the policies or actions of the Israel government are hurting Israel's and the Jewish people's long-term interests. So, uh, we may say that there is a, not only a right, but there is a duty to dissent. A duty to dissent uh, uh, in the diaspora if uh, the, 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 some, some Jews are in, in not, not thinking that the, the Israel government is going in the right uh, direction. So, uh, the, the, the outcome of, of, of this uh, the statement, by the way, is that the, the uh, J Street, sorry, uh, helped financially candidates for the Congress with with real success. Uh, I must say, I, I just uh, looked at the figures uh, for the last uh, uh, elections in, in Congress in 2012, uh, November 2012. Um, a APAC uh, backed uh, 71 uh, Congress. Uh, Congressman and uh, 71 in the election. So I mean, this is uh, a figure which seems quite uh, encouraging for J Street uh, today. So uh, to sum up here, the, the argument is clearly, uh, and I think it, uh, I was able to 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 show that, uh, is clearly to to see that uh, on 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 this point, uh, it is clear that. The, the diaspora outside uh, Israel is not 
uh, leaning uh, towards uh, the right, but rather uh, the reverse, and this is mainly, I showed this mainly through the American case. I would even say that uh, um, uh, right radicalism is in many ways much more stronger in Israel than it is in the diaspora. Which doesn't mean that you won't find in the diaspora something which goes in, in the direction of what uh, Anderson uh, wanted to stress. Yes, you found also this idea of an accountability. And it's true that uh, uh, some people in the diaspora uh, support policy radicalism and uh, some uh, like the, 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 the millionaire Irving Moskowitz in the US, which is uh, giving generous uh, money to, to the settlers in, in East Jerusalem. So you will find these kind of figures. But this, is, this should not be taken as the, 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 the whole and overall picture of what's happening in, in, in American Jewry, uh, uh, especially. The second point, uh, which I want to, to, to look at, is the question of, uh, which, which uh, Anderson raised also, the instrumental function uh, for strengthening ethnic identity in the diaspora. Is nationalism, in a way, uh, a way to defend an embattled ethnic identity? So this has to do with, of course, ethnicity. As, as I said, and this is well known in, in, in the US especially, identification with Israel and support reached its peak after the 1967 war. And uh, we can clearly say that support for Israel is a kind of religion, if I may say, for American uh, uh, Jews. And that even the most liberal, uh, and I'm thinking, uh, Denomination like the reform movement uh, stress on its platform uh, at the, uh, in 1997 that, uh, and I quote, the renewal and perpetuation of Jewish national life in the land of Israel is a necessary condition for the realization of the physical and spiritual redemption of the Jewish people and of all humanity. End of quote. So this is one thing, and you, the surveys, and, and, and in the U.S. we have we have several surveys uh, on the topic, which is quite useful for. Uh, for, for a political scientist, um, uh, to the statement, for instance, to the question, do you agree or disagree uh, with the following statement? Caring about Israel is a very important part of my being Jew. 79% uh, said yes, it is important for my, uh, for my life. So it is clear that it is part of the identity of the Jews in the US. But, but, if we go beyond the general statement, how can we assess the role of long-distance nationalism as a way of strengthening Jewish identity? And here uh, come, I think, very interesting findings. The findings are the following. The first one, and it is uh, an important uh, point, there is a decline in the importance of Israel for, for American Jews. Uh, when you look at uh, two indicators, uh, one is the question of donation to financial donation to Israel. It dropped uh, very sharply in the last 30 years. Uh, another kind of indicator is the question of tourism in Israel. And here you find that um, uh, also 81% of Orthodox Jews visited Israel, only 38% of Reform Jews. Uh, went to uh, 
went to uh, to Israel. And when you look more more closely at at the results, uh, there was a, um, a survey which was done in 2012. And the question was, have you ever been to Israel? 59% uh, said no. And the question was, the following question was, why not? And the question was, 48 person, I have never had the opportunity to go, and 31, I am not interested. So this is interesting. This is interesting because it's a kind of, on the one side you have a kind of general commitment to, yes, Israel is important in my life, but when you look at the details, in fact, it doesn't matter really. So it's, it is part of a kind of imaginary community to go back to, to, um, to Anderson, but it's, it, it has no practical effect. And this I found also very interesting. Um, the, one of the interesting, other interesting thing uh, you see also when you look closely at those different surveys is that what I thought at the beginning my assessment, my kind of hypothesis, in fact, was that long-distance nationalism, uh, involvement in Israel affairs, was a kind of, could be, a, a kind of ethnic marker for non-religious Jews, for non-religious Jews. In fact, when you look at the data, you, you find that this hypothesis is not validated. It's not true. In fact, Israel played a role but it plays a role to reinforce already existing connections, and those connections are mainly religious. Uh, I mean by that that uh, institutionally affiliated Jews, Jews who in the US are going to the synagogues, are in the communal centers and so on, are closer to Israel than Jews who are not organizational members. So there is a kind of cumulative move when you are religious, you are also much more involved in Israel. You go there, you, you, you go even for tourism, you go there, you have a strong connection. If you are not religious, you just don't go. Or on, on a much more narrow uh, percentage than the, 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 uh, the, other, the other one. And I think this is interesting. This shows that at least uh, LDD, uh, long distance, LDN, uh, long distance nationalist, does not work as a kind of substitute for religion in that sense. It is, it is something which goes with religion, but not with something which is, which is in, in, in um, uh, can replace, in fact, uh, religions. I'm coming slowly to my conclusion. Uh, my conclusion uh, here is, uh, is clearly that um, when you look at this, in the, at the, at the, uh, at the Jewish case, uh, that the Anderson's assumption are uh, not confirmed uh, clearly, and, and, and on both instances, on the question of an accountability on one, and on the question uh, of reinforcing ethnic uh, uh, identity, uh, maybe uh, we we should, in order maybe make a difference between two kinds of diaspora. So I'll uh, broaden a little, uh, I'll broaden my, 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 um, my uh, perspective here at the, at the end of my talk. Uh, I think that we should maybe make a difference 
between uh, what uh, uh, my Israeli colleague Gabi Schaefer called uh, stateless diaspora and state-oriented diaspora. I think, we, yes, th there may be a difference between the kind of political mobilization among those types of diaspora. The idea being that political radicalism is stronger is in stateless diaspora than it is in state-oriented diaspora. What are stateless diaspora? Stateless diaspora are diasporas like the Kurds or uh, special, especially the Tamils who have not state of their own, who want to have state of their own. And of course, state-oriented diaspora are diaspora who have already an existing state, like the Jews today or uh, the Turks, uh, the non-Kurdish Turks, and so on. Uh, and I think uh, it's, it's, it, 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 uh, I, I'm not able to, to, to really demonstrate that I'm right, but my intuition is that uh, because the first one, a stateless diaspora, uh, are committed to have a state of their own, they, because they aspire to achieve international recon recognition, and in order to get that, they are more prone to support groups which fight in the homeland for their cause, and they may fight in, even with violent means. And I think that we have many examples uh, which confirm this assumption. The Kurds in Germany uh, supported the PKK in, in Turkey, the Sikh, uh, I already mentioned Canada and Britain, supported the Khalistan movement, or the Tamils, of course, supported the LTTE. Uh, so I think that uh, it is this, this kind of structured position of uh, the diaspora, which is conducive to a more assertive political uh, uh, radicalism, even if we should not, at the same time, have a kind of mechanical thinking about that. Uh, uh, because when you look, for instance, and, 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 and I did that concerning the Tamils, it is clear that it is not only the structural position as a, as a, as a stateless diaspora which plays a role, uh, but also the fact that uh, the, 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 the diaspora was, um, in a way, uh, uh, in partly in the hands of, of, of people linked with the LTTE. And those people, of course, uh, wanted to mobilize the, the people of the diaspora to defend their, their, their cause and, and even uh, raised what they called the revolutionary tax, which was in fact money, which was uh, with, 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 uh, which the Tamil had to give to defend the uh, the, uh, the the coast. So I think that, uh, and, and these are my last words, uh, political opinions, uh, in my view, are more evenly distributed within state-oriented diasporas, uh, and from <coughs> precisely in the case I just. Uh, mentioned uh, at length, uh, political opinions in the home state reflect much more the political landscape of the, of the homeland in those diaspora that it does in, in, uh, in stateless uh, diaspora, uh, which are maybe more uh, akin with the kind of as, uh, model uh, which was presented by uh, Benedict uh, Anderson. Thank you very much.
The Association for the Study of Ethnicity and Nationalism is an interdisciplinary student-led research association founded by research students and academics in 1990 at the London School of Economics and Political Science. We seek to fulfil two broad objectives, to facilitate and maintain an interdisciplinary global network of researchers, academics and other scholars interested in ethnicity and nationalism, and to stimulate, produce and diffuse world-class research on ethnicity and nationalism. We do this through our global membership, our two leading journals, Nations and Nationalism and Studies in Ethnicity and Nationalism, our newsletter, The Ruritanian, which provides key updates on information in the field, and through our programme of events. Our YouTube channel features videos from our annual conferences, seminar series, lectures and debates. You can find us online at lse.ac.uk forward slash ASIN, on Twitter at ASIN Events, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash ASIN Events.